This sermon was recorded at Church of the Ascension, an Anglican parish in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, whose mission is to be a worshipping community that equips God's people and shares Christ's healing with a broken world. For more information, please visit ascensionpittsburgh.org. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the freshness of it to our day, and I pray that you would speak to us this morning, that you'd give us attentive hearts and minds. In Jesus' name, amen. We don't know a lot about her. We're not told her name, only that she was crippled and had been bent over, unable to straighten up for 18 years. Perhaps she had osteoporosis or scoliosis. Maybe she had something else wrong with her. You may have noticed St. Luke describes her as being, as being crippled by a spirit. We simply don't know the precise nature of her affliction. The account of Jesus healing the woman who'd been bent over for 18 years is one of those very brief healing stories we encounter in the Gospels that we can very easily just kind of skip over on our way to the next piece of action or next narrative. It's a pretty short passage and it seems clear enough. But as with many of the encounters that Jesus had, I find it helpful to try and put myself there, try to identify myself with some of the people that were present. And I wonder in this account, with whom do you identify? And I have in mind there are at least four different people or groups of people. So there is the woman herself. There's Jesus. There's the leader of the synagogue. And there's the crowd. One set of circumstances, one vignette, one account, one happening, but four very different reactions and understandings. So first, there is the woman. In Jesus' day, there was a common understanding that if you were good, you would be healthy and prosper. If you were bad, you would get sick and die. And I expect that some of the people there looked on this woman, not with compassion, but actually with a sense of loathing, as if somehow she was a horrible person. She kind of had it coming to her. It was a terrible way of thinking. It led to victims of disaster or disease suffering twice, first through the affliction itself, and then maybe even worse than the affliction, by having to endure the scorn or judgment of those who didn't have that affliction. Yet one only has to read the Old Testament book of Job or listen to the words of Jesus elsewhere to find that such a simplistic cause and effect approach is almost never how things are. And we may read this today and say, well, how dreadful that anyone would treat a suffering person like that. Except, sadly today, I sometimes hear people doing exactly that. Blaming the unemployed for being unemployed. Or the deserted spouse for having been deserted. Or the asylum seeker for being a refugee. Just as typically we don't think of a person with a debilitating curvature of the spine as having brought it upon themselves, so also we should be careful not to judge others in other situations. Many people today are weighed down 
and bent over. If not physically, <clears throat> then mentally, emotionally, spiritually. Perhaps there are some here this morning who feel bent over by the pressures of life. Maybe due to work, money, relationships, illness. If you are feeling bent over this morning, well, I'm certainly very glad that you're here or watching online. For one thing that we can say about the woman whom Jesus healed was that she was there. Presumably her condition, uh, given her condition, she could easily have found 101 reasons not to be in the synagogue that day. And if you have come here this morning knowing that you are a flawed person, sometimes clever but often foolish, especially in hindsight, then you are in the right place. If you've come here this morning feeling insignificant, unnoticed, inadequate, you're in the right place. If you've come here this morning wanting to rest your weariness or to experience the unconditional love of God, then you are in the right place. Time and time again in the Gospels, Jesus declares himself to be on the side of those who are bent over. The woman in the synagogue that day, I imagine, might have slipped into her seat quietly, unobtrusively, by a side door if they had one. But then she hears Jesus speaking to her. Could it be? She asks herself, is he, is, he, is he speaking to me? You know, I find one of the great privileges and awesome responsibilities of standing up here on a regular basis is when, as happens not infrequently, someone says to me, thank you for your sermon. It was as if you were speaking directly to me. Or as occasionally happens, someone will receive something from the sermon that I know I didn't say. And sometimes these things happen even when I thought the sermon was a disaster, when I felt I'd somehow missed the mark, or I thought you were all asleep. But over the years, I have become increasingly convinced that when we come to church on a Sunday morning with open and expectant hearts, then we are coming into the presence of God. Actually, we're coming into his presence even if our hearts are pretty closed off, so beware. And that openness, that posture, so often leads to a person finding that God does indeed have something for him or her. And it may be through or despite the rector's preaching through or despite the hymns or songs, through or despite anything else that may help or hinder you. That's how it was for the woman who was bent over when she went to the synagogue that day. There, she encountered Jesus. Interestingly, though, she didn't go to him or ask for his help. He came to her. What, an, what a wonderful image that is for corporate worship. So often we think, perhaps, of ourselves as coming to church to find God. 
And yet, could it be that when you come to worship, God is finding you? Positioning yourself before God, intentionally taking time to be still and present to God, is something we need to do every day, not just on a Sunday morning. All right, well, that's the first person, the woman herself. Let's look now, uh, secondly, at the presence of Jesus in this account. When Jesus saw her, he called her over and said, Woman, you are set free from your ailment. When he laid his hands on her, immediately she stood up straight and began praising God. And the actions of Jesus that day were quite revolutionary. In this very brief encounter, Jesus demonstrated to ordinary people the kind of life that God wanted for them. And in doing so, he managed to break at least five strict cultural rules. First, Jesus spoke to the woman. In civilized society, Jewish men didn't speak to the women. Remember the accounts of John's gospel where Jesus spoke to the Samaritan woman at the well. She was shocked because a Jew would speak to a Samaritan. But when the disciples returned, the scriptures, the scriptures tell us they were astonished that he was speaking with a woman. And so in speaking to her, Jesus challenged their prejudices. Second, Jesus touched her, which was contrary to the holiness code, which protect, protected men from women's perceived uncleanness and sinful seductiveness. I wish those kinds of accusations weren't still around today, but they are, can be. Well, third, he called her a daughter of Abraham, a term not found in any of prior Jewish literature. And it's revolutionary because it was believed that women were saved through their men. To call her a daughter of Abraham? Well, that was to make her a full-fledged member of the nation of Israel with equal standing before God. That was a complete no-no. Fourth, he healed what day? The Sabbath, the holy day. And in doing so, he demonstrated God's compassion for people, which was above the importance of ceremony. And he reclaimed the Sabbath for the celebration of God's abundant goodness. And last but not least, he challenged the ancient belief that uh, the woman's illness was a direct punishment from God for her sin. And he asserted that she was ill not because God willed it, but because she was bound by Satan. And that could be another whole sermon. We know evil is present in the world. We know people are oppressed and bowed down by evil. And we also know that bad things happen to good people. And Jesus did all of that in about, I don't know, 10 seconds. And we see once again the compassion of Jesus. Jesus who is able to see beyond the external, past those things that make others keep their distance, to the person inside, to the real you. I wonder, is that how you see other people? Because that's how God sees them. And that is how God sees you. He sees each one of us as a person made in the image of God. Man or woman, boy or girl, he sees us through his eyes of love, through his compassion.
And that is how he would call us to see others. The breaking of the rules by Jesus didn't go unnoticed by the religious leaders. Which brings us to the third person for us to consider this morning. We've considered the reaction of the woman and then Jesus. And now thirdly, let's turn to the synagogue ruler. Does he marvel at the graciousness and power of Jesus? Is he touched by the compassion that is shown for this woman? Does he rejoice with her that she's healed? No. He is indignant. And he says to the people, there are six days on which work ought to be done. Come on one of those days and be cured. Not on the Sabbath day. The leader of the synagogue was shocked and outraged. There wasn't a healing service scheduled for that day. How dare Jesus do such a thing? And time and time again, Jesus found himself having to challenge the accepted way of doing things. And it often put him in conflict with the religious leaders and at odds with tradition. Not because he was looking for trouble, not because he wanted to somehow get out of the old law and traditions, which he didn't, but because when those things stood in the way of God's saving, freeing, abundant, radical, shocking, amazing grace and love, then he was quite prepared to break them down. And if that offended other people, okay, fine. And so Jesus pretty sternly says to the ruler of the synagogue, you hypocrite. Does not each of you on the Sabbath untie his ox or donkey from the manger and lead it away to give it water? And ought not this woman be set free from this bondage on the Sabbath day? I asked at the beginning with whom it was that you most identified with in this story. I doubt many of us would choose the synagogue ruler. I certainly wouldn't want to choose him. And yet in saying that, we have to, or at least I have to be careful, because perhaps this synagogue ruler may be closer to the way we sometimes are than we would like to admit. How easy it is for us to become legalists. How easily we may think that our particular preference or our particular blend of corporate worship is the right blend or the best way or the only way. Now, don't mishear me. I'm not saying that it isn't good or, or I'm trying to change it, but I'm saying that we need to hold sufficiently lightly to our preferences and ways of doing things in order that we may never, ever hinder the work of Jesus and his Spirit in our midst. I wonder, what is it that makes us indignant Am I more bothered by sins of adultery or sins of greed? Neither is right. Do we get angry that the gap between rich and poor gets wider and wider? Or are we only bothered when our pay raise wasn't as much as we wanted? Are we known for our compassion or our condemnation? Are we quick to judge sin, but slow to encourage good? Jesus said the world would know we are his disciples by our love. 
Do we love our Savior more than we love our services? Do we love people more than programs? Are we more bothered about laws or love? How we need to fling wide the doors of our church and the gates of our hearts that those things that would constrain us would not get in the way of what God wants to do. And while the synagogue leader got all hot and bothered by Jesus' actions, the ordinary people did not. And that brings me to the last group of the people that were there, the crowd. The entire crowd was rejoicing at all the wonderful things that Jesus was doing. And I'm not going to say much about this crowd except for this. What a wonderful thing it is when ordinary people notice when someone has had their life transformed by God. I think of a a man in a previous church I served who became a Christian after attending one of the Alpha courses that we had. And such was the transformation in this man's life that his colleagues in the steel mill where he worked started asking him what had happened. Such was the change in his marriage that his teenage children asked if they could come to church with their parents. And of course, there are stories that we could tell here of lives that have been changed. People who've come to a living faith in Jesus. People from across the world. People who've come from no background of faith. People who've been active members of the Communist Party in China. And just ordinary Americans who found Jesus. And I look forward to hearing more and more of these kinds of stories, of changed lives, of people finding freedom in Christ, of people knowing renewed joy and meaning and purpose. And I know that some people won't be interested, but let us never be like the synagogue ruler, complaining when God is at work, complaining when our comfort zones are stretched. You know, I had this wonderful uh, conversation with an older member of our congregation who's not able to be here. And we started flip-flopping the uh, live stream in the 9 and the 11. And this was a gentleman that used to come at 11, and he'd watched the 9 o'clock service. And and he said, oh, I see it was the 9 o'clock service uh, this week. I I was just a little bit worried because it's a bit more lively. Uh, And he said to me, Jonathan, it was fantastic seeing all those children. He said, I remember when I came to this church and there weren't any children. Well, thanks be to God. And I haven't asked his permission, so I'm not going to name him, but thank you. You know who who you are. (laughs) So let us never complain if the kids are a bit boisterous or the music isn't quite what you prefer. It's okay, really. Let us make room for Jesus that all may enter in and be set free from those things that enslave them, even as this woman was set free from that which had kept her bent over for 18 years. I don't know whether you are bent over this morning. I don't know whether your deep, what your deepest needs or fears or shame may be. But I do know that there is only one person, one name under heaven whereby we can be saved and healed and forgiven and restored and set free from all that would bend us over. I invite you this morning to draw near to Jesus who longs to set you free, to straighten you up, and to use you in his kingdom and for his glory and for the building up of his church. Amen.